On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to continue our look at evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our study today. We appreciate your interest in spiritual matters. These um, current studies are more topically based, taking a little bit of detour from our book studies that you normally would, would join us here for on Truth Factor. And we may get back to that later. I think we've, there's been some talk about looking at the book of Romans uh, at some point here in the near future. But for now, and through the month of December, we are going to be considering different Bible subjects. And to this morning, we're continuing our study of looking at evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We had begun this last week, and some of the things that we had talked about, I'll just share with you here for a moment, and then um, I'll throw it over to Paul to tell you how you can participate in the study, is we talked about some um, about how important the resurrection of Jesus is to the Bible's narrative. We talked about some basic facts regarding uh, Jesus' resurrection, and these are, I should say, his death and resurrection. These are facts generally not disputed, of course, by scholars. For instance, the tomb was empty. You know, that's something generally not disputed by scholars who at least believe Jesus and the apostles and, and the historical um, accuracy there is, is valid. We also talked about some of the basic evidence of Jesus' death and resurrection. We talked about some eyewitnesses who were witnesses both to his death as well as his resurrection. And we kind of asked the question, how do we know the eyewitnesses believe their own eyes? And we spent some time talking about that. And then how did the disciples from the late first century to the second century view the gospel accounts? And the thing we pointed out when you look at their writings, uh, Ignatius, uh, Polycarp, and others, when they lived was within the same time frame of when the apostles had lived and died. And they would, of course... Um, they, they, through their writings, we know that they believed the record that we see within the four Gospels. But before we go any farther with the study, Paul, I was almost negligent there. Would you please let everybody know how they can participate in today's study? Well, we certainly are glad for everyone who has joined the Truth Factor discussion today. And it may be that uh, you would like to participate or uh, maybe at the conclusion of the show, you'd like to ask some questions. Well, you can find us at several different places. You can find us on YouTube, you can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on Twitter. And what you want to search for is Truth Factor Live. Now, if you want to send us an email, uh, we'd love for you to do that. We'd love for you to send us an email. If you want to just ask a general question to all of us, it's questions at truthfactorlive.com. That's questions at truthfactorlive.com. If you want to email any one of us, just use our name, uh, like Paul or Tom or Brian uh, or John, at truthfactor.com. We'd love to hear from you and look forward to your interaction as we study a very important Bible topic. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you walking us through there. Um, one other thing, Paul, we probably should let everybody know. If you would like to uh, comment, well, beyond what Paul has already pointed out, we do have a form with the questions, and if you look in the YouTube description, uh, description of the video, you should see the link to the Google form there. Uh, if you look at the Facebook description of the video, you should see the link there as well. Um, you don't have to use the form to participate in the study. Really, the, the form is designed for those who want to kind of get a head start on the study. 
But you can feel free to submit your thoughts and answer to those questions. We will be starting at the latter half, looking at skeptics here today. But just kind of file that away, and, and we'll try to do that in future studies, Paul, I think. Yeah, be, sorry, be I forgot that. That's a, that's an important addition that we've added, and it allows folks to think about things in advance instead of just on the fly uh, as we study together. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right, so as we announced earlier, our topic for today's study is evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. This is a, a very crucial topic. There have been a lot of studies done on evidences. And some of the, the evidences that you will study revolve around philosophical arguments. And those are good to look at. But with the philosophical arguments, many times the philosophies of men will try to come in and counterbalance them, counter, you know, just kind of, it, and it's really hard when you get two people from two positions trying to throw philosophies at one another. It doesn't always work very well. But it is a starting point in your discussions. This subject, looking at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, I think is really one of the most important aspects of trying to prove, of proving that the Bible is from God. If you can prove from the eyewitness accounts that Jesus truly arose from the dead, never to die again, then it validates all the records of his miracles, all of his teachings, all of the Bible all the way back to Genesis to Revelation. So that's why this is such an important study. For those who keep track, that is our episode number. Today is episode number 280. 280. All right, so I'm hitting the wrong buttons now. Bear with me for just a moment as I bring up the questions here for our study today. We are considering, as I mentioned a while ago, the aspect of the uh, what the skeptics would have to say. And, and most of these skeptics, as we've already talked about, um, many skeptics, I should say, do believe in Jesus. They, they believe that he ex existed as a man, the apostles existed, um, and they view the writings as somewhat historical and therefore acceptable. Um, there are those who don't believe. There are those atheists who will who will disregard all of the New Testament and say it was written at some time later and by not the real writers and things, of course, like that. But there's too much evidence to show that, yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and 1 Corinthians all existed and were written within the first century. All right, so let me start with... Um, Tom, we're going to look at the first question here on the form. And, um, you know, Brian, I did not think to drop these into the chat room ahead of time. I'll take care of it. All righty. I'll have you, if you, yeah, that would be great. Once you do, I'll throw this up over screen there. But the first question that we're going to be considering, or maybe if you would, I say question, we're talking about really what uh, skeptics would say in opposition to some of the things we've been looking at, is how would... There we go. So how would you answer the skeptics who say the disciples stole the dead body of Jesus? Now, some skeptics do make that claim. Okay, yes, Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And they go back, and clearly the tomb was empty. So what happened to the body? Well, it's pretty simple. The disciples came along, and they stole the body. Now, we had a couple of answers come in, and I want to share those first, guys, from the forum. And then we will, um, and I think they, the, this one came in from Dan Gatlin. 
How did they sneak past the guards and move the stone without being seen? There's the first question. And that's a very good point. You know, would these men have given their lives to perpetrate a fraud? I mean, so that's when, when you stop and, and, and you think about these things, those are good questions. So first, they suffered and died over this idea. Second, they had a, no, a nation of men who sought to prove them wrong. And third, there's no, there is no evidence that this occurred. Talking about there's no evidence that the body was stolen. And some of this does overlap what we talked about last week. Um, and so, Tom, what, what, what else would you add to this if you want to answer this question, you know, how they came and, and stole the body? Okay. You know, first of all, just a real quick comment, John. Uh, all of these arguments that are used by skeptics and so on, um, uh, the overwhelming majority of them are actually addressed in one way or another in Scripture. And, and, and I just want you to understand, like, for example, dealing with this, in addition to the points that Dan made, which is that's kind of the point that I would make in dealing with this, uh, you know, talking about uh, uh, would you die for a lie? But Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66 uh, finds that uh, as Jesus has been buried, that the next day, the, the chief priests and Pharisees, they go to Pilate and they say that he claimed he was going to arise after three days. And uh, uh, so they wanted the tomb secured. And of course, Pilate tells them, you've got a guard, secure the tomb. And the debate is whether or not Pilate provided a guard or Pilate told them, you've got a guard. You know, you are the, you got the temple police, take care of it. Uh, whatever the case was, the gospel actually anticipates that. Matthew anticipates that. And uh, and, and it is dealt with. Uh, another uh, uh, Another consideration uh, is just where where this has taken place. It's in Jerusalem, you know. So I, I mean, so so it, it it's in a place where the enemies of Jesus, the Jews, they would have been able to control those things. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, it's hard to imagine. It's it's almost as if they act like. And hang on a second. It's almost as if they are acting like that where Jesus was buried was miles and miles and miles away. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, it, it would not have been. It would have been outside of the city, of course, but within a reasonable distance that the Jewish people would have easily watched over it. Um, and I like, right. the, I like the fact that you pointed out that they anticipated, and, and after the fact, you know, after the tomb is found empty, they come back and they're paid or they're paid off to say his disciples came and stole the body. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and apparently that was the, the biggest argument that was made. Uh, that was the biggest argument that was made against the resurrection by the Jews. Because I mean, he makes the point even to this day, they say that. Yeah, that's exactly and, right. So, yeah. yeah uh, uh, I, I apologize. Explain their behavior, the behavior of the disciples afterwards. Yeah. I apologize for handling the form wrong. I'm still getting used to Google Forms, how the responses come in. Those were two different responses. All right. In other words, someone posed two different questions that were good. How did they sneak past the guards and move the stone without being seen? Would these men have given their lives per per perpetrator fraud? And then someone else submitted the idea of, of them being willing to suffer and die over the idea um, and the other points we brought out there. It's well, interesting, John, wait, Paul? just to note um, that... Uh, if that had been had been true, 
the body never reappears. Uh, and uh, even today, when often some terrible crime is committed and a body disappears, it's usually just sometimes a matter of a year or two or decades even, but all of a sudden a body will turn up. And um, so far, you know, in those days you'd think that if the disciples had stole it away, that would have been something very special to them I, I, in kind of a morbid sort of way, mm -hmm. that they, uh, the, there was no body ever recovered, uh, if that had been true. Uh, of course, we don't believe that that's true and that Jesus was resurrected. Right. Yeah. You know, to, to add to Paul's comment there, what's interesting is you have a whole nation of people that would have desperately desired that that body be found. Yeah. That in other words, if we understand, yeah. uh, even if I'm a genuine skeptic and I have no belief in this, I would understand that the Jewish nation, the leaders of the Jews, would desperately desire to manufacture that body in some way to demonstrate uh, that, in fact, it had been uh that Jesus had been killed. And one of the reasons you might even say that there was no artificial body manufactured is because the severity of Jesus's wounds were, were known by everybody. So it isn't as though you could just produce any body and say, well, here he is. Uh, you needed a body with very specific wounds in order to match that of Jesus. So, so there no such body existed. And uh, we know that there was an entire nation of people that would have liked for that body to have been found. Oh yeah. Brian, a quick question. Were those uh, the three points that I read from the form, what you had submitted yourself? That's that's right. Yeah, I had said okay. that, that they had a nation of men. Uh, the only other thing I had added was from an evidentiary standpoint, uh, we have evidence that the body what disappeared. Uh, we have evidence in the yeah. sense that the tomb is empty, that there is no shrine or dedication or anything like that. But there's no evidence that the body was stolen. Uh, that's a pure fabricated idea. And, uh, you know, if we were if we were in a courtroom, and somebody tried to submit that as a claim, they'd have no evidence to back it up. They'd have nobody uh, that came forward in that sense. They'd have no uh, point to a body or anything like that. So ultimately that uh, that evidence wouldn't stand because there is no evidence to it. Yeah. Um, Brian, I did not have this in the form, but was isn't there a decree that was issued by the Roman government about a hundred years from when this took place? Um, that people strongly think was affected by the idea that Jesus's body may have been stolen. Well, that's an interesting statement, uh, John. I don't know anything about that. Uh, so, in other words, they passed a law yeah. in regards to body theft. I'm I'm utterly not a, a, a aware of that in any way. It's uh, Tom might remember it. It's the Naz Nazarene Creed, or, or not Creed, but um. Okay. <laughs> I kind of vaguely remember hearing about that, but I don't have the facts in front of that, That's not something I looked up as far as dealing with this, but I, there was something about that. Uh, okay. I found it. Um, okay. So I've never heard of this before, John. So this is yeah. very interesting. It's called the Nazarene, Nazareth inscription or the Nazareth decree, yeah. a marble tablet inscribed in Greek with an edict from an unnamed Caesar ordering capital punishment for anyone caught serving graves or tombs. Um, uh, it's uh, thought to, uh, it's mentioned by Pliny, uh, the elder. Uh, it, some authors uh, it decide it may have an indirect relationship to Jesus. I'd never heard of that before. That's very interesting. It is, it's not enough. Um, let's see if I can share a picture here real quick. It's not enough evidence to say, you know, this, this is for certain proof, but some people strongly suspect that it may have, um, 
Let's see. There we go. If you can, if you can see it at home, it's not very big image there. Um, some people wonder if this was brought about by the death of Jesus and the disciples stealing his body, or at least that accusation. And the fact that it was found in Nazareth is what, or pertains to Nazareth, is what was really interesting. Sure. Um, all right, Paul, you, Tom, do you all have any other comments on this particular question? You know, what do you do with the argument that the disciples stole the body? No, sir. No, okay. that's good. All right, well, let's go ahead and continue then. Let me bring up the next question there for consideration. So some skeptics say that Jesus did not die. But instead, really what happened when everything was said and done is it only looked like he died. So, you know, kind of think about this for a moment. How would you answer the objection that says, you know, Jesus wasn't really dead? He just appeared to have died on the cross. And so we're going to go to our answer submitted there within our form. And what we find here is that, you know, if you, and here's what Dan writes, explain scourging to them. Someone who would say this, explain the scourging process. He says, Jesus was pierced in the side with a spear. If he was buried in the traditional Jewish banner, he would have been bound hand and foot. And that's a reference to John eleven forty four, and would need someone to loose him to come in and, and untie him. This seems to be the case as revealed in John nineteen thirty nine through forty. Also, surely he would have been in a weakened condition. How would he, of course, move the stone? Now, does it sound like that 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 Dan took probably the greatest of the answers? What do you think, yeah. Tom? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he made the point, you know, as I said, just remember, there's verses that kind of answer every one of these. And, and he mentioned there the John chapter 19, he mentioned 38 and 39, which dealt with the burial of Jesus. But even prior to that, where he even mentioned the piercing of the side of Jesus, uh, how how uh, Pilate was surprised that he was already dead and so on. Uh, but it makes the point that a spear was thrust in his side. That, uh, those soldiers were verifying it. And the other thing to remember in this is, you know, we're not talking a bunch of amateurs uh, 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 doing paper, rock, scissors, deciding who's going to carry out this crucifixion. This was done by executioners that knew uh, knew what a dead body was. They, they, they knew how to execute these criminals or the criminals. And... Uh, uh, so they were very efficient at doing that. And and so it, it makes no sense to say that. I, I think there was an argument made one time that uh, there have been, there's a couple of documented ev examples of people surviving a crucifixion. Uh, and, and one of the things that I noted, and I don't remember all the details, but one of them was uh, a Roman official discovered that an individual was on the cross that he knew. And, uh, and and I think there was a mistaken identity there. And so he he went and got the body taken down uh, immediately, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, but I don't remember if he died shortly thereafter or not. But, but the point is, is those were extreme circumstances. Uh, that's not what you have with Jesus being executed. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, any other thoughts, Brian? 
I, that was interesting about what Tom had said about survival of a crucifixion. It made me look it up, and and it's interesting that there's only one instance of that. Yeah. I, I would suggest this that there are several things that come to my mind. First of all, uh, the effectiveness of Roman execution—that this these were not merely soldiers who just were told to kill somebody. These were executioners. That these were men that were trained in putting somebody to death, and. And the whole very descriptive process in the Gospels of them breaking legs, of them piercing the side, is a description of a very efficient, orderly uh, execution process that was designed so that nobody would escape or slip through that. Now, the second thing, uh, I guess I'm just really building back on what Tom said, is that the graphic descriptions in the Gospels are there for a reason. That reason is to make it abundantly clear that Jesus was... Uh, was slaughtered effectively, that he was butchered on the cross. We have statements like the water and blood coming out from the piercing of his side, which tells us that his pericardium itself was probably pierced, uh, you know, a, a, an absolutely fatal wound, uh, instantly fatal. So those uh, those descriptions, of course, make it clear to us that that these things were, uh, were in effect, um, yeah, an absolute crucifixion. The only other thing I would add is that at his resurrection, when he first is manifested, uh, it appears that his wounds aren't visible right away, that they're only visible whenever they were necessary to be visible. In other words, as Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, they're not walking with a man who uh, is is beaten about the face and is abused and, you know, has, has had his scalp lacerated and, you know, uh, his back lacerated and, you know, his hands and feet pierced. They're walking with just another man. So it's important to understand that many of those wounds weren't manifest, weren't visible, uh, which is, again, uh, pointing to a supernatural event. That's a good point. Their first statements would have been, man, you've had it rough today. What's wrong? Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, just it, even even without the crucifixion, Jesus was beaten about the face. We've, we've all seen pictures of people who have been beaten about the face and the swelling mm-hmm. and the bruising. And, you know, days later, your face is purple, your eyes are black. Um, you know, Jesus, none of these things are manifested in that image. And, and as I said, how can a man walk with holes in his feet? How can a man eat bread with hands in it, uh, holes in his hands? It's, it's, it's apparent that there was a supernatural thing going on here where those wounds simply weren't manifested. That's right. And listen, I want to thank you personally for, for working up this, this illustration, this visual illustration of what Jesus' garb would have looked like when, when he came forth in, in the shining white uh, appearance there <laughs> yeah that was uh that white shirt of mine was meant to you know to shine forth yeah you know i've been trying to figure out why your room is so dark behind you and if you it's actually have white light shirt taking all the light it is it, it's your camera exposure <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway yeah. um paul do you have any thoughts before we jump to the chat room well, those were some of the similar things that i had thought that the romans were not amateurs at execution uh, we have a you know clear Bible accounts of what it was like. Uh, yeah, it, it's not a not a reasonable uh, explanation uh, for trying to yeah. say the resurrection was untrue. Okay, that's a good point, uh, Tom. I I think you had one more thought before we go to the chat room. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, just to note that the passage that we just alluded to is in John. John's the later gospel. And uh, I suspect that John, some of the things he's pointing out are things that he's hearing. Yeah, you know, that's and, a good point. In other words, in other words, he's answering arguments or he's answering things that people are saying, and and you have that coming out here. 
John, if he wrote the gospel as late as we believe he does, wrote this gospel some 60 years, give or take, after the actual death of Christ. You know, so a whole generation of people would have come up. And so I, I could see where the skeptics would, would be saying these things, you know, and so the very important purpose behind his gospel. It's a good point. So what we have here for the chat room comes from Gregor. No, wrong button. There we go. Gregor says, stuck in the tomb for three days. Think about that. Without any medical treatment. You know, you've been pierced in the side. You've had a lot of blood loss. Um, e even your both your hands your and your feet have been wounded tremendously. Um, you had a professional determine his death. That is a Roman soldier. And I think someone brought that up earlier. And even his water had the blood had begun to separate. So all those things point to the fact that he was dead. There's no way he could have managed to survive three days damp tomb and get up and roll the stone away and everything. So quite interesting. All right. Well, what about the third one? Now, listen here, let's, let, let's kind of be realistic about this. These people love Jesus. They followed him. They thought he did some wonderful things. They, they were torn apart inside. I mean, to the point, and, and they, they hadn't got a lot of rest, and, and we've had this whole crucifixion. They had to have been hallucinating. What about that? Well, one of the answers submitted through our forums is Jesus was seen at different times by different people in different places. Um, it, it strains the reason the author writes to think that such a thing, such a, a, a like hallucination is possible. Uh, Paul, let's start with you. you have any thoughts about that? Sorry, John, I was, uh, I was working on something else. Uh, the idea, uh, could, could you summarize that? I heard you talking about that the disciples love Jesus so much and, well, basically, yeah. You know, they, they, they were so devastated that they were hallucinating. Oh, they I'm saw sorry, what they yeah. wanted to see. You know. Well, I, I, if there had been one witness or a couple of witnesses or just, just say the two guys on the road who maybe were feeding on each other's imagination, if you could picture that, that would be one thing. But I would say that the overwhelming number of people who witnessed Jesus as the resurrected Christ uh, would would clearly refute that. Uh, you can fuel, fool a few people. Sometimes a few people's imagination runs away with them, but this was not just just a few. Uh, in addition to that, we know that when Thomas was present, that he actually touched uh, Jesus. It wasn't uh, it wasn't just a, a an image or something in their minds. Okay. All right. That's I mean that's that's pretty plain as it is. He's able to uh, knock on a door. Uh, there when uh, Rhoda uh, answered the door, he was able to, you know, there were there were physical things that happened, but I, I just think the, the sheer number, and yeah. not just on one, sir, I've heard of people being fooled by something when they're all together, maybe some large crowd, and something happens, and they all kind of feed on one another and, and believe that, yeah. but it's not like that. We have instead uh, different places, different times, different groups, large groups, small groups, individuals, and so I, I, it's my understanding that that would just not not be a reasonable expl yeah. explanation. 
Rhoda was with um, was the one who saw who answered the door when Peter came to the well, door. Well, thank you, it? thank you for correcting that. I just just kind of if anyone's if anyone's following the study, and said Rhoda saw him. Who was Rhoda? Yeah, Rhoda's with Peter. All right, let's see. John, you yeah. go ahead, Tom. Yeah, j- just a couple of thoughts. You know, Paul Paul made the one observation where he said, you know, uh, uh, many people. You know, hallucinations typically are individual, personal things. The fact that Paul says Jesus was seen by 500 at at the same time, the fact that he appears to all the apostles uh, at the same time. John also, or or Paul also mentioned about Thomas, but but specifically in Luke 24, 38 through 43, it, it, it exactly answers that. It says that they thought they were seeing a vision. Uh, let me see, Luke 24, 38. Uh, the, the expression that is used there, uh, let me get over here. If I, Luke 23, if I verse 34? Yeah, 24, 38. Uh, uh, 24, uh, 38. Luke 24, 38. Uh, and, and actually, the, the, the verse before that, verse 37, they were terrified, supposing that they had seen a spirit. So, so here we have that. And Jesus says, why are you troubled? Uh, 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 touch me, touch me, uh, uh, handle me. Uh, a, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. And then he says, give me some food, let me eat. So, I mean, that takes care of that. Now, uh, another version of this is what they call Jesus appears in some type of a hologram type of a thing, you know, kind of like uh, in the Star Wars, you know, if you remember Star Wars, how R2-D2 would project this, picture of a, of, a, of a Princess Leia or something like that. Uh, somehow Jesus appeared in a way that every that uh, the whole crowd could see him at one time. But understand, they didn't have the technology that we have to fake that. So it, that even that would have been a miracle. Or and, aliens. What's that? Or aliens. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Some might yeah. try to... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the point is, is if Jesus appeared like that, it would have been a miracle, and yeah. you still yeah. wouldn't have been able to touch him. Yeah. So, so whatever type of a, a spiritual appearance that somebody says, uh, that's dealt with. And, and by the way, John deals with the Gnostics, you know, which mm. that was kind of Gnosticism. And so, this is one of those arguments that's associated with Gnosticism, and, and Luke addresses that. John kind of deals with a little later on also. Okay. All right. Um, Real quick, I'm going to bring up something from the chat room. And then, Brian, I've got an interesting question for you, or at least I think it's interesting. Wrong button. There we go. So, Gregor says he was seen by groups and interactions were witnessed. There's no such thing as witnessing a hallucination. It's a very valid point. All right. You saw G- this guy saw Jesus talking to that person and visiting with that person. You know, it wasn't someone saying, hey, let me tell you what I saw, but no one was witness to it. Everybody witnessed and saw the same thing. Um, but Brian, here's an interesting question I wonder about. How do they know, how did they know what Jesus looked like? As far as uh, they're describing him? Well, well, I guess my question is, it's not a good question, sorry. Everybody who saw Jesus, starting with the apostles, already knew what Jesus looked like. 
it wasn't someone coming along and saying, hey, I'm, I'm Jesus. Okay. So their own personal experience with him before his death helped to validate what they saw after his death, didn't it? Yeah. 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 Now the You're one saying the, it was not an impersonator. Yeah. Oh, that's a better I, way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I see. I see what your point is. Yeah. Uh, which you know that's that's an interesting point is uh, to somebody else coming along and saying that it was Jesus. You know, when it wasn't Jesus, that these were people that intimately knew Jesus. Yeah. Now the 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 only one character, two I'm gonna say two people really, that might not have known what Jesus looked like. Might have been Paul or Saul of Tarsus, and maybe Philip. Now I'm only reaching at that. When Saul saw what Saul saw, when he looked up in the sky in the light, he said, "Who you are you?" Again? I didn't. I didn't catch that. What was that? <laughs> when Saul saw what Saul saw, he said, "Who are you, Lord?" So there was something there that prompted him. There's some sort of visual recognition you know, to convince him that it was Jesus. And it was the same, whatever he saw in the heavenly vision would have appeared just the same as what appeared before the disciples and the men on the road to Emus and so forth. Very interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, any other thoughts before we move on uh, to our next question that skeptics throw out there? All right, let's see. Let's go to question number four. Now, I, I thought this was interesting. I heard an individual uh, not long ago kind of trying to prove that the gospel accounts are not authentic because they, they contradict one another. And, and many individuals will kind of look to that. They'll say, well, Matthew records this and, and John records this. And so clearly two different records, they contradict and so forth and so on. One of the most interesting ones, I thought, the fella said, well, you have in Matthew, or in, in John, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But in Matthew, he refused to raise Lazarus from the dead. And the person he was debating was like, huh, what are you talking about? Well, sure enough, in John, he raised Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha from the dead. But then he was looking at the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And based on the way that story came out, Jesus was unwilling to raise that Lazarus from the dead. It was very misconstruing what the Bibles teach. And so that's, that's the question there. How do you answer the skeptics who say the Gospels contradict one another? Um, and the resurrection account was part of this person's supposed proof. One Gospel has one woman going, and another Gospel has multiple women going. So, Let's go ahead and consider from the form that was submitted. Dan says the different gospel writers may have noticed different details, but there are no logical contradictions. But And, and this is a quote from Edmund Bennett. But substantial uniformity with circumstantial variety is one of the surest tests of truth in all historical narratives. That's from the four gospels from a lawyer's standpoint. All right, who wants to go ahead and take this question of our group? Tom, go ahead there, sir. Okay, uh, uh, a couple of observations I would make that is uh, 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 one of the things that we know about witnesses, you know, say you have a trial and you have multiple witnesses that say they, they observed an accident, their testimony very likely is not going to be exact. As a matter of fact, 
if a, if a lawyer or, you know, the investigators, if they have people that have the absolute exact testimonies, when they're looking at it from different angles, they go, they're going to be suspicious of it and think that there's corroboration going on. The fact that there's different details uh, kind of indicates that you've got different perspectives or different angles looking at the event. The fa and so we see these different things that are mentioned in the Gospels, and you can just deal with the uh, you can just deal with the resurrection. Uh, one one Gospel, Matthew says there was one angel. Luke says there was two angels. And like you said, you got the one woman versus three women, different Marys and all those types of things. Uh, uh, they're different eyewitnesses and they're looking at it from different perspectives. And in reality, what do all of them have in common? They acknowledge that there was a resurrection. So the, if somebody uses that as an argument and says, what about the contradictions? Well, if you're going to deal with these contradictions, are you going to admit the event behind the contradictions? Because what you're saying is that they got together to make up this story, but yet they're independent witnesses because they contradict each other. Oh, I see your point. It's kind of the idea there that had they collaborated and made the story up, their, their, their records would be more alike. Exactly. You know, they, they wouldn't have c covered the varying, differing details on it. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, getting into the, the specifics, like with the numbers, you know, you know, obviously, if somebody said, oh, there was an angel there or there was there. He didn't use the specific. I don't think you, you ever find the number one. It just says an angel. Well, yeah. would mm -hmm. an angel be a part of a group of angels? If, if, if there were, if there were uh, the one that uses the number two identifies how many there were. Mentioning an, an angel would have been identifying the specific angel of the two. You know, the same yeah. thing with the one, one gospel mentioning one woman versus another saying two and another three. You know, they were identifying different groups of those women. Uh, and so on, and and uh, the three would be the more exact number or closer to the exact number, whereas the one would be that a specific person of that three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's an easy response, but and what what is so what is so sad is the person that was in this debate, Tom, the the the, the gentleman's explanation of these supposed contradictions is as if he was not interested in hearing them. That's the point. You know, it yeah, was, he's got a list of where the Bible contradicts itself, and I'm going to hold to this no matter the proper explanation. Yeah, and, and that's why you ask the question, okay, well, what do they all agree with? Jesus yeah. rose from the dead. You want to deal with that agreement before we start talking about these contradictions? <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> so, anyways. All right. All right. Any, um, Brian or Paul, any, any other thoughts on this before we look at the chat room? Um, you know, I, I kind of think what Tom said, uh, I just want to reinforce the idea that what's interesting is that anytime any kind of testimony is given or any kind of a historical event is recorded, there there are always genuine contradictions. In other words, uh, the dif distinction between an alter uh, a different fact and a contradiction is a different fact might relate uh, something that, uh, that flushes out the idea versus a genuine contradiction is two facts that cannot both be true. Um, and of course, 
the, the fundamental flaw is that most people don't know the difference between an alternative fact versus a genuine contradiction. But even in any historical document, there are genuine contradictions, any historical account. Uh, even when I used to work in a courtroom setting and we would prepare uh, trials, uh, criminal justice trials, that a lot of times in the circumstances, you actually were trying to make it understood. You would separate your witnesses. You wouldn't let them talk with each other for the purpose that they would sit down and start kind of, well, we would work out our facts and we would understand that different details, uh, as you said a moment ago, different details make the, 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 the truth of the statement uh, more apparent. The distinction, though, of the scriptural accounts is that it is unusual that, in fact, there are no actual contradictions where there is there's no two facts that actually both can't be true. And that doesn't testify just to the veracity of the document. It also testifies to the idea of the of the divine authorship. In other words, uh, we, we would expect any historical document to have some contradiction. The absence of any contradictions in the scripture doesn't just testify to it being a historical document. It also testifies to its divine authorship. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something, something definitely to, for people to think about and consider. Um, Paul, do you have anything for people to think about and consider? I did not. Uh, any, not nothing that I think would be substantive to add okay. to the good comments that John and, or excuse me, Tom and Ryan have already made. And John. All right. All right. Sounds good. Let's move ahead then to our final question, and then we'll kind of pull it to a, a close for the day. And let's see, I think Brian has already prepped this for me, so let's bring it up here real quick. Oh, Gregor's comments. Gregor, I'm so sorry. I'm glad that I had that said. When three, when three people witness an event, and we're still talking about uh, the supposed contradictions, when three people witness an event, they would each notice different things. This actually indicates an eyewitness account. Luke being a compilation of, of witnesses brings most of these together. Good point. That's a good way of kind of looking at that and wording that. Appreciate that, Gregor. All right, so now let's move on. You know, there are some individuals, and this is based upon the Book of Islam, I believe it is. Let's see. Brian, have you dropped that into the chat yet? You've got the wrong tomb one first, John. Do what? Number five is the wrong tomb. Oh, sorry about that. There we go. I skipped one. Yeah, so, so we, got the, we got the next question. Question number five. We added a question. That's what's confusing. That's what, okay. So, so here, here's the problem. These people are distraught. It's dark. They don't have handy-dandy flashlights. The graves aren't marked very well. So clearly what happened is they went to the wrong tomb. Okay, so how would you answer those who, um, now, Brian, what did I just throw up there? Uh, I had number, I, you know what, did I, um, do I have the wrong number five? Oh, you know what, I'm sorry, somehow or other I have a different number five on my form than what's on yours. I apologize, uh, John, it, I've messed you up. That I, didn't, is... I didn't catch that there were two different questions. Let me, you know, let me repair this real quick. I'm going to put up the number five that you <laughs> wanted. So I am fixing that right now. Okay, thank you. Um, okay. I apologize. I don't know why I have a different question. Did we change it's, it, maybe? It's going to be my fault um, when I sent out the uh, the documents. I'm okay with that. Yeah. The, I, I didn't update the PDF that I originally sent out with what was put into the form this morning. 
And if you're pulling off the PDF, then it might be why it's a little bit different there. I, I apologize. Yeah, I missed. Uh, I, I did that. So. I, no, it's all right. So, so some skeptics say the disciples were at the wrong tomb. All right. So let's go ahead and deal with this one pretty quick. Um, and we're going to bring in real quick what Dan uh, submitted there through the forums. He says the disciples followed Jesus for three and a half years. They saw the miracles, heard his teachings, and proclaimed him to be the Messiah, the Son of God. It's highly unlikely they would not pay attention at this point. Then he says the Roman guard made it very clear which tomb it was. You got a Roman guard in front of the tomb. That must be the right tomb. Three, if this were the case, producing the body of Jesus would show the disciples error. You know, you think about that. Gospel records them trying to pay someone to explain away the empty tomb. Well, if they had the wrong tomb, it'd be easy to say, no, here's the body. You know, you were at the wrong tomb. Good comments on that. Um, what do you think? Any thoughts or comments from Brian, Tom, or Paul? Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't have anything on that to add. Uh, right. the, the only thing I would add, by the way, uh, uh, Dan answered it. I, I mean, I've got the same answer. The only thing I would add to it is Luke twenty three fifty five. 55. R remember, I, I, and I know I'm bringing out all these verses because I want you to know the scriptures answer these. Luke right. twenty three fifty five <laughs> says... Uh, verse 20 or 54, that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. So you, you have a detail there. They observed the tomb. They knew where it was. That's they right. weren't going to forget that. <clears throat> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right. And Paul, you got any thoughts? No. Okay. All right. All right. So let me let's see if I can catch up with myself here real quick. And I'm going to make a loud noise here locally. Bear with me just. <laughs> Where'd it go? <coughs> so much for muting that. All right, so Brian, I still don't know what happened. You are right. I am missing an. Uh, how would you answer those? Oh, that was the old question I pulled off. We we had a question in the form originally. How would you answer people who rejected the eyewitness account? And ultimately, the answer was, you can't. Okay, if someone's going to reject the eyewitness account, if they're going to say Jesus wasn't real. The apostles weren't real, or Mary wasn't real, and and these are some mythological you know myth that's been passed down, recorded years later. Then there's there's no good answer to give them because they're walking away from what is clearly evident within the historical uh, records. There, they're they're ignoring so many facts showing that yes, those four books were written in the first century by real individuals recording real events. If they reject all that then there's really not much you can say. You can maybe try the philosophical approach, but that this is the heart of it. And if they don't accept the heart of it, you know, and we're willing to talk about the heart of it, then there's not much you can say. That's that's the uh, original question that I had there, Brian. Sorry yeah, about sorry that. Sorry about that, uh, to confuse on that. No, that's okay. I, I, that, my brain should have clicked on that a little bit faster than what it did. So let's move on then to the last one. Uh, Gregor does say a simple disproof would be to go to the right tomb and produce the body. The tomb had a Roman seal, so it would have been found. That's a very 
Very valid point. Now, Brian, I did not know this until you and Tom pointed it out last week, that the the Muslim religion um, holds to the idea that God would not let Jesus suffer on the cross, that uh, God took Jesus before he was crucified, and that um, Judas of Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, actually died in Jesus's place, I think is, is what they believe. Is that, is that accurate? One of the ones I read, they said, uh, one of the Muslim, uh, and I can't remember if this is in the Quran itself or in one of the commentaries of the Quran, says it, that they believe it was um, uh, Simon of Cyrene. Oh, they believe right. that Simon of Cyrene was the actual person that was crucified too. So it's kind of interesting who that might have been, that there's probably more than one person they point to. But that that, as you say, the the Muslim uh, statement is that Jesus did not actually die on the cross, that he was that he was taken to heaven, but that instead it was somebody else who died on the cross. OK. All right. So how would you answer that particular question? You know, it's, I, I, I think some of that might come down to, you know, again, when you talk to a Muslim, one of the Muslim beliefs is that the. They would tell you that all scripture, and that would actually include the New Testament and the Old Testament, is incorruptible. Um, now, this is one of the fundamental flaws of Islam, is that they is that they hold that anything that comes from God is incorruptible. And yet, this is where the testimony of the identity of Jesus is found in his death, that, the, uh, that that is the consistent testimony of all of the New Testament witnesses. And they even hold that the New Testament witnesses, the apostles, were themselves um, you know, men of God, of, of Allah, they would say. Um, so in the end, the fact that all of these men lived and died with the testimony of the crucifixion of Christ and that they themselves would testify that scripture, including the New Testament, is incorruptible. The problem that they create for themselves is that they have to deny one of two teachings. Either they're teaching that scripture is incorruptible or they're teaching that Jesus died on the cross. Did not die on the cross, sorry. That's interesting. That's, and I think that's a very good way of looking at that. Um, Dan had submitted, he said that the this assertion, of course, is without evidence, as are the rest of these theories. Again, would the disciples who lived with Jesus for three and a half years confuse him for an imposter? You know, surely they would have said, ah, wrong guy, you know, wrong guy's up there. Um, and, 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 and you add to that that that, that make that that puts fraud on the part of god you know i, oh, yeah. I, I mean allow, yeah. allowing somebody to die in place of jesus just so that jesus could make appearances afterwards and pretend like he was arisen or and and, and by the way i think islam the quran also says that god did take him up to heaven rather right. than letting him die or so, so it could yep. be that the appearances didn't actually happen uh I, I i would also add to this what we've already talked about and that is the fact that Jesus showed his wounds. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, and he said, he said, touch me, made it very, very clear, both to, to Thomas in John 20, as well as uh, in Luke 24, you have that example. And, and that, that goes against the idea. So how do you explain the wounds? Again, if Jesus really didn't die and he punctured himself later on, just to, what would he be doing? Perpetrating a fraud. That's right. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um wasn't the Quran written somewhere around 500 A.D., 600, 600 A.D.? It was 
was in the 600, 600. I think 600. 600. Yeah. So it, it's going to fall in the category of any of the, the late writings, you know, the third, fourth century, um, any, uh, fan fiction, it, it falls within that category. It's, you yeah, know, yeah, uninspired. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the, some of the Gnostic gospels as they're called and things like that. I, I think as I was looking this up, one of the, I ran, I ran across something talking about the gospel of Barnabas. But uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the Gospel of Barnabas, though, uh, upon investigation, uh, is very, 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 very late, as in 15th century or beyond. Uh, it's kind of the earliest uh, uh, documentation of it, and it is believed to have been a Muslim document created for the purpose of saying this. Hmm. So in, in other words, okay. it's very, very quickly dismissed as 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 fraudulent as uh, un unreliable okay all right well let's go ahead and let, let me check the chat room real quick before we jump to our final question which will be the conclusion of today's study and of this topic yeah, gregor has a comment yeah there you go he does he says christ was identified on the cross by his mother very good point the romans would have arrested jesus if he was just wandering around Christ showed up, not traveled to his meetings with believers. And that's a very valid point. He showed up there, appeared to them. Um, and and, and I, that's a very good point about Mary. Surely she would, yeah. have tell, would have been able to have said, well, that's not my son's voice saying, mother, behold your son to John and, and you know, son, behold your mother. I mean, she would have known. She would have known. Yeah, and John too. John, John, the disciple whom he loved. He yeah. was there with him. That's right. He went through the whole trial and everything. And yeah. All right. So finally, here is the last question we've submitted for people to kind of comment on. And it basically brings the whole study here to a nice, neat conclusion. What are some things established if we prove the resurrection? If you prove the resurrection by accepting the eyewitness accounts of what was done, then what are some things that are most certainly established by this? And turning to our forms real quick, Dan writes, one, that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1, 4. Two, that our faith is not futile, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 and 17. Three, our sins are forgiven. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Think about it. The sacrifice for our sins did die. Okay, that is for certain. Preaching the gospel is not empty. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And five, those who have died have not perished. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18. If Jesus arose from the dead, then all those who have died faithful unto him have not perished. That's a good point. All right, so any additional thoughts on this particular question? Um, I've got a couple myself, but I want to see what y'all have to say, Brian. No, I, I, in fact, I think Dan said exactly where I was thinking of, 1 Corinthians 15. So that's exactly what I was thinking about. So. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Tom? Yeah, uh, I would add to that. There's a, there's a God. You know, I mean, yeah. because, uh, uh, and, and along with that, miracles are real. You know, I mean, if because this is the ultimate miracle. You've also got the fact that, if Jesus was risen from the dead, then Jesus is who he claimed to be. And, and, and this kind of goes along with some of what, what Dan said. Christianity is the true way to God. That's right. That's right. Paul, 
Well, I like the idea there uh, in talking about maybe a, a, just a slightly different way of phrasing it is that Jesus is the first fruits of them that sleep. And so there is that assurance that's, that we use that as our guarantee that when we put our confidence and our trust in God, uh, that he will, just as he raised uh, Jesus from the dead, that we will also be raised from the dead. That's exactly right. I appreciate that. Some of the things that... The... Oh, I like the idea there uh, in talking oh. about... Yeah, oh, it's Mike! Mike has joined us right at the end to bring so, his words of insight and wisdom. Use that as our guarantee that we <laughs> Mike is listening to the show and not realizing he's on camera right now. <laughs> <laughs> He'll hear it here in just a moment as it catches up with him. Um, but consider also this, and what are you touched on this? If Jesus truly was raised from the dead, um, all of the miracles he did preceding that were valid. Um, all the prophecies that were spoken of him were confirmed. Um, and it flows all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was real. God's promised Abraham was real. The story of the Israelites, all these things were real. Going all the way back to the very beginning, Jesus references that. Well, God raised from the grave, showed the people who he was. Jesus is referenced to Adam and Eve and, and Noah and so forth. All these things we begin to understand are real and did take place. All because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. Let me check the chat room real quick. And we are clear there. Mike, would you like to say a few words? All in the very beginning, Jesus references that. <laughs> he'll, admit, he'll, he'll hear myself ask him if he wants to say any few words. All these things we begin to understand are real and did take place. All because go. the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. Wait. Get the chat room real quick. I was way behind. And yeah. we are clear there. Mike, would you like to say a few words? Oh, in the beginning, Jesus references that. He shook his head no. Okay. <laughs> he'll, admit, he'll, he'll, he'll hear myself ask him. Okay. So we appreciate the study. Appreciate you joining us for this. I understand that we're not going to convince everybody, and I realize that. It's more of us telling you why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why we accept the eyewitness testimonies and everything that we see there, um, why we give our life for the cause that we do. Um, we weren't one of the ones who firsthand experienced saw Jesus, but we believe their testimony. And this is why we live the life that we do, and we preach the gospel, and we want others to come to Jesus as well. All right, any final thoughts or comments um, on this study before I announce what we'll be looking at next week? We'll make it quick. Brian? No, um, I, I will say Tom said something earlier that I've, I've been dwelling on for a while that it just uh, it clicked on me um, when he said it, just how true it is, that it's that the scriptures prepare a case for every argument any skeptic could make to deny the resurrection. And I really think that after Tom said that, I got to thinking about just how dramatic and important that truth is. Uh, and Tom, I appreciate you making that point earlier. That's a good point. I appreciate that, Mike. And Tom, any thoughts about Mike's commendation of your points? Uh, you, you mean Brian? But yeah. Whoever. Yeah, uh, whoever. Uh, no. Well, no. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've done a lot of study on this because I'm, I'm getting ready to teach a little bit on, on the life of Jesus eventually in evidence. And that's why these things just, just 
uh, I'm, I'm kind of passionate about this stuff right now, and I've got personal reasons behind that too. You know, I mean, uh, uh, one thing that you mentioned, John, as we wrap this up, uh, is uh, we may not be able to answer the skeptic or the critic and so on, but you know what? There's people who are doubting because they hear what a skeptic says and they may not have an answer ready. If we have answers, we can help them and keep them from going to, if, if you want to use the term, the dark side or the other side, you know, keep them from going there. So, I mean, so th this is not just for us, even though it ought to strengthen our faith. Yeah. It helps us to help those who are just asking questions. There's an example I've kind of used before that I think may fit this. Your child, if a stranger comes up to your child and says, your mom and daddy don't love you, does your child have experience that would convince them to say, you're wrong, my mom and dad does? And let's say the person keeps hammering and hammering and hammering it. As long as the child is certain that their parents love them, they won't be persuaded otherwise. Well, same thing here. If our faith is not established in the word, then when the skeptics begin to make their supposed wonderful arguments and well-crafted words, it could cause the weak Christian to begin to doubt. You know, and that's that's where the true faith you know becomes so important. Paul, any final thoughts? Well, I I think that ultimately we have to believe by faith, but that uh, what we've tried to show, and I think we've done uh, the study's been beneficial for me, is to show that our faith is a reasonable faith. I agree. I hope so. And I hope that you, you find it beneficial as well. If you disagree with something that we've said, don't hesitate to write us. Send them to questions at truthfactorlive.com and we'll be happy to consider what you have to say. But we ask that you consider also the eyewitness accounts of the New Testament. Next week, we're going to be talking about a beneficial prayer life. We'll spend next week's subject on the subject or study on the subject of prayer. Be looking at the YouTube description once we get it updated for next week and the Facebook, uh, once we will put, put it on our Facebook page, we'll have the Google form that you can fill out and answer those questions. So, and let us know what you think about that. It's, it's still, if we were to have 20 people make use of the form, we'd probably inundate it and it would take a little bit longer to sort through everything. But it is a good way that you can prepare for the study and maybe participate, even if you can't be here live for the study. Thank you so much. Lord willing, we'll continue our study next week, and that is November the 20th at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon Eastern. 9 a.m. Pacific. And 10 a.m. Mountain Time. This right here at live. Dot truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.